This is the Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror films. My name is Marshall Smith. And this film I appreciated because I found it to be deliberately pressing the limits of the genre itself and what we consider to be horror in ways that are aligned with our concern with social responsibility within horror films. And that to me is a is a feat that is rare and laudable. And I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado at Boulder. And yeah, horror is great because it lets us talk about our worst experiences, both in the history of humanity and and present day. And I think this film does take on a, a big task in trying to tie those two together in a way that is notable for a film in the horror genre. We appreciate you joining us for our discussion. We'd love to hear from you. Recommendations, suggestions, thoughts, whatever it is. You can find us on Instagram at Collective Nightmares. You can email us all of that info as well as our entire back catalog of episodes is available faux free at collectivenightmares.com. And we would love it if you would recommend us to a friend, someone you know who likes horror movies, rate us or review us. We have 10 reviews on iTunes. No way. And I, yeah, I was like, did oh, all of our friends write them? I don't think so. I don't think I have 10 friends who have listened to the podcast. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I want to go back and read them and see if I can identify anyone I know in the, <laughs> in the <laughs> reviews. And I hope I can't. Well, I know Todd wrote one some long time ago. I don't know if that's even still there. I don't know if they expire or anything, but oh, I didn't fun. read them. I just saw 10 Maybe it's like Todd saying this is great and everybody else is like this sucks, which would be terrible, but... Did you say uh, you didn't read them? No, I didn't read them. Why? I don't want to read that. I just want to do a thing. I'm just glad we got 10. I think it matters more the quantity than the... I want to read them. Well, more power to you. (laughs) Let me know where they are. Uh, I'm probably, probably too scared to read them. We watched Antebellum, Monkey Paw Productions' newest film monkey Paw productions is jordan peele of get out fame his production company antebellum is a 2020 film recently released september of this year let's see written and directed by gerard bush and christopher renz and the synopsis from imdb is successful author veronica henley finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late Kudos to whoever wrote this IMDb synopsis. No spoilers. Well written. There have been a number of films, horror films, where they spoil it in the synopsis and it's infuriating. Apparently the trailer for this was also just a huge one big giant spoiler. I don't understand that. Peel, if you're ever listening, don't go to the trouble of making a film that has all of this, all of these nuanced and powerful reveals if you're just going to throw that all away in the trailer what's the point 
And since he'll never hear that, uh, we'll move on to spoilers. We've got spoilers for this film. We strongly recommend you see the film before you listen to us, particularly, or, or, and if at all possible, pretty soon to when you listen to us, because we dive right into discussion of the film in pretty good detail. And so there's spoilers for this film, Antebellum. Spoilers for Ma. Is that it? I think that's it. Did that might be it? Uh, you might just want to pass. <laughs> it's Laura's like, fuck this. I'm going to bet. I don't want to wait for you to come up with your clever little <laughs> fucking pun. <laughs> God damn it. Just, just fucking movie and let's get out of it. We're going to do our best to, uh, to reenact the historical implications of this film. So I Googled the film to try to figure out where to stream it. And I always try really hard not to see reviews and not to hear any hype about it beforehand because I didn't know what, I didn't want to know what was going to happen and what other people thought of it. But I couldn't help it when I did that, but see some of the reviews because they were terrible. And I just, the few websites that popped up were just bad, bad news about the film. I mean, I tried to squint. I tried not to look at it. I actually closed my computer and I said, you know what, Never mind. I'm just going to look and see if it's on Amazon Prime because I don't want to have to dig through this to like find it. And it was on Prime. So that was great. And I shouldn't have looked in the first place. But I went into it with that impression, I guess, that for whatever reason, I knew that people didn't like it. If I'm honest, I thought it was all right. I certainly didn't dislike it to the extent that I felt like I was supposed to. And I couldn't help it. So afterwards, I went and I read the reviews, like after I saw the film, because then I just wanted to know what people were complaining about. And so that's why I say I'm, I'm really interested to hear your take on it. Because, yeah, I'm just, I'm curious... I have this impression that maybe I somehow missed something in my take, but I, I didn't dislike it nearly as much as it sounds like everyone else whose review I read did. So I can, I can leap into that a bit more or you can give me your first impression. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh God. Well, did you know that? Did you know everybody hated it? No, <laughs> Okay. no, that'll, that'll learn you to, uh, <laughs> that'll teach you to, to uh, read reviews I wasn't trying. I wasn't trying, but I couldn't help it. Once I knew that, then I couldn't help going back and reading the reviews. This is right, right. You can't unknow. That's that's the, the trick. No, I knew nothing about it other than it was, I, really from the title, Otherwise, uh, other than it was somehow a horror film that was connected to slavery. And for me, that was enough because, I mean, there's some, or there's some reference to slavery for sure within Candyman, but... Other than that, I mean, there's no, there's no horror in slavery. There's no slavery in horror. It's an awkward transposition. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, and it, obviously it's an extraordinarily a horrific institution and era and we're st- still dealing with it. Um, I thought it was great. I loved it. I thought it was, uh, um, I thought it was phenomenal. I, I, I'm astounded that that it was generally disliked. I wouldn't be surprised if some folks didn't like it for you know whatever reason. But I had some minor complaints, or maybe I had some minor complaints. But it was one of those where it was so different and so new, and I thought so generally well done. The the few things that basically there were a couple there were a couple points at the end where i thought they were 
they were heavier handed than they should have been. They had done very well to trust the audience for so much of the film. And particularly the Robert E. Lee statue at the end was, I was like, okay, <laughs> now you're, now you're wandering into quiet place, whiteboard territory. Not, not there, but you know, getting there. And other than that, I really didn't, I, I would have only positive things to say about it. So you can tell me maybe what you saw about why they disliked it, or uh, you can tell me why you just thought it was mediocre. I'll start with my honest impression before I get into what I read, because I don't want that to taint too much how hmm. I felt. Ooh, I would, it was I would, interesting. What's I'm that? sorry. Yeah, I'd appreciate that because I would love to be able to verbalize my take uh, as well before I hear more about why people don't like it. So yeah, let's. I, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing from what you thought. As as it started, I thought it was it was clearly shot well. It was pretty. It was the production value was really good, and I was in this interesting space for the first I don't know twenty minutes maybe of the film, thinking that this really doesn't feel like a horror film, and yet this is such a horrific thing that I'm watching, and that was kind of interesting as a side note on its own. Like I was just you know watching this brutality. And feeling like there's something about this that, that doesn't make it feel like horror. And this is probably the most superficial of my comments, but I'll just start here, that I didn't feel like it was a horror film, even by the time it was over. And I went back and checked because I thought it was marketed as horror, right? Because I tried not to look at anything about it beforehand. And when I looked at the poster, and then I actually watched the trailer afterwards, and definitely it was marketed as horror, but I felt like as a horror film, it was not very effective. I mean, it just didn't, it felt more like a drama to me and more like it had some serious societal commentary to make, but just less like an actual horror film. I'm going to set that aside because like I said, I think that's somewhat superficial, but just that was certainly a component of my experience. I thought it was pretty good. I thought the I have, I have a lot of critiques about the characters that they used and how they made their arguments. And a lot of things felt, like you said, either heavy-handed or very superficial, particularly when we got back into Veronica. Was that her name? Yes. V Eden's name. Yeah. Uh -huh. When we got back into Veronica's real life, I, I was really unsure about some of the choices that they made with her and being a sociology professor and being at the conferences. And there, there was a lot going on there that felt, I, oh gosh, there's so much to get into. That felt like that was maybe a cheap way to present the argument. Like rather than having us experience and feel what, say, intersectionality could mean in a person's life, they had someone stand up at a conference and sort of hand wavily define it for us. Uh. And that I think stood in place of actually experiencing some of the things they were trying to convey. And I, I didn't really like that choice. There were a lot of just little things like that that I'll get into that I didn't love. But overall, what I thought was a positive take home from it was that, you know, we look at horror films and we look at you know, what's in the bad bucket to draw back on teeth for the 900th time. And I appreciated a film where very clearly what was in the bad bucket was racism and not only past, but also present. And this critique that this is still this still exists. This is still a currently ongoing problem. And, you know, I'll compare that to say Ma, where the message in Ma was 
our take at least, which I, I think holds up when you really dig into the ideology of the film, our take was certainly that Ma was about, hey, get over it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, racism, whatever that happened in the past, you need to learn to get over this. But this was something that I think it, the moral argument that it was making was was clearly in line with where I felt like the moral argument should be. And so that felt like an accomplishment. That felt like if we look at this as just a societal reflection, as we often do, of what does society consider scary or bad at a certain time, that you could have a high production value, widely hyped horror film where the bad bucket is full of slavery and white privilege and all of these things that often get overlooked in horror films. I, I saw that to be a real accomplishment. Like I said, I think it was kind of clunky in terms of how it made some of its points. I didn't love that. And I really didn't feel like it was effective as a horror or actually even very much a horror film, which I know is a weird thing to say with, given that it was about slavery, which is clearly horrific. So we can talk about that too. But that was my take. I was, I liked it. I'm not going to give it like super glowing reviews, but I liked it until I, like I said, read everyone else's reviews, which we can get into in a second. But yeah, you, you take the floor. What was your... Kind of initial take. I get the floor. That's a dangerous, dangerous game with this one. I'm sorry. I'm I'm looking up some things. Okay, here we go. Well, to start with the meta, this is either going to be a film that comes together for me completely and that I'm going to end up loving even more than I thought I did, or this is all going to come apart at the seams, a la Centipede 2. And, uh, and that will be very sad for me if it does. But I'm going to make my best effort. And that is, for me, the experience of watching the film was, okay, we are in, we're on a plantation during the Civil War. And it is a particular, I don't know if this is a particularly bad plantation or if this was middle of the road. And there were more that were worse. And there, and there were some that were less bad, whatever it was. But it's a it's certainly a, a plantation, so it's it's got the brutality of slavery. And and I think I was supposed to feel, I think we were supposed to feel like, okay, this is going to be a film about the horrors of the plantation life and maybe um, a Harriet Tubman type figure. And okay, interesting. Let's see what happens with that. And then they cut to her waking up in the bed. And I'm like, you're talking about Veronica in present day. Yes. Veronica in present day. And it's, Oh, it's this nightmare. And it's like, okay, so that's interesting. So for me, it was, it was really interesting that they, I mean, it, that's a good, it's at least 20 minutes, like you said, before they cut to present day. So we are invested in the era and the, we're invested in the era and the experience of plantation slavery. And so to cut to present day is very obviously and significantly the past intruding into the present, which is also, I mean, they do introduce that to us with Faulkner. Faulkner is notorious for writing about particularly the South and the racist South. It was much of his work, whatever his town, his whole community that all of his novels kind of like Derry, Maine is for Stephen King. Faulkner did that with whatever town in the South and developed that over the course of, of multiple novels. So it was interesting to me because so often that sort of construction in a film would be a couple of minutes, maybe, maybe like up to the titles of the horror film. 
and then you would cut and then you'd have these back and forths. So to get us that far invested for me really reflected how prominent the film was stating that this was still intruding in the present day. Okay. So after immediately I, at that point I was like, okay, I'm in, let's see what happens here. And that was also really well done with some of these little details where, so she doesn't have the brand on her back. And so they're not just cutting from past to present or dream to reality. What they did was they made us think that those two things were separate by removing the brand from her in present day. So they're, they're in a small reversal of time within a larger reversal of time consciousness because that first modern day scene is actually before the future scene, which is actually a near future that is the reconstruction of the past in the plantation era slavery time. That's awesome. That to me is not superficial. You know, that's where you get that second layer of depth of, of imbrication of, of time and, and, um, all of this. And then for me, the, the intersectionality of the show don't tell was the experience of her in the past as she lived, particularly that those opening scenes before we understood that this was modern day and this is the reconstruction. That was the show don't tell. And it was, it was not only just showing us the show don't tell of this is intersectionality because you have, she is the house uh, slave and she occupies the position in between the field slaves and the white matriarch. She is the transgressor, right? She is the, uh, what was uh, Anzaldua's borders? She is in the, the liminal position, which was very true uh, for, as far as I understand it, for the lighter skinned, more European feature black woman. And then we see a range of experience. We see how we see how the black men are treated differently in their brutality. We see that the women are raped. And so there's intersectionality there. We see the age difference in how she is treated versus the older women. So we have that demonstration there. And so when they, cut to her speaking at a conference as a PhD, as an academic, but they have her occupy those two roles. What it says to me is precisely Dorothy Smith's or Pat Hale Collins's, uh, the, um, the fuck is the name of her book? Outsider Within. But a, a number of these feminist scholars, particularly black feminist scholars, that, that is Collins actually, the learning from the outsider within. But what it is doing is it's tying the experiential knowledge of the survival within white supremacist patriarchy during a time when education was denied to those people to the academic scholarship now of those same folks when they have access to these institutions and education and, and some sort of entree into these systems of thought and these arenas of life that they were previously denied. So to me, that both elevates her experience in the past as 
this is equivalent to having earned the PhD now. And it amplifies the importance of recognizing the scholarship of marginalized people now within these academic worlds where those, those arguments are still often undervalued. So like that kind of stuff I thought was fantastic. And then that was even, and then that was also reinforced with the, the trio of friends where Gabore Sibide, Sibide, precious. <laughs> well, one of those is right. Is the, the less European, more mammy caricature, uh, darker skinned, further away from European white standards of beauty. And then you've got the white woman friend who is an ally, but still isn't fully aware of her white privilege all the time. Um, Caucasicity, whatever their phrase was, which I thought was great. I should look that up so I can start using that. Enjoy your dinner. Uh -uh. No, 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 no. Sorry, I think what my friend is trying to say is that- Actually, babe, I got it. This table is 100% not acceptable. And I think that you know that, don't you? Um, um, Becky, mm -hmm. listen, I'm actually not going to go back and forth with you about exactly why this table is unacceptable. You're going to seat us over there. Oh, um... Thank you so much, Rebecca. You're doing great. <laughs> oh, get your sis. They're called Cassidy. They're called Cassidy. So that that's... They're showing how that intersectionality still plays out played out in the past, still plays out now. And, uh, and the politics, we talked about this with Black Christmas of, so the white woman ally, and then the white woman who is Jenna Malone, who is the, the dog to the black woman's mule in Audre Lorde's. I need to make a correction. I misattributed this quote. The quote is in Collins's article, Learning from the Outsider Within, The Sociological Significance of Black Feminist Thought, published in Social Problems in 1986. And, quote, John Gwaltney's interview with Nancy White, a 73-year-old black woman, suggests that ordinary black women may also be aware of the power of these controlling images in their everyday experiences. In the following passage, Ms. White assesses the difference between the controlling images applied to Afro-American and white women as being those of degree and not of kind. And then following, this is White quoted in Gwaltney. My mother used to say that the black woman is the white man's mule and the white woman is his dog. Now she said this to say this, we do the heavy work and get beat whether we do it well or not. But the white woman is closer to the master and he pats him on the head and lets him sleep in the house but he ain't going to treat neither one like he was dealing with a person. The passage suggests that while both groups are stereotyped, albeit in different ways, the function of the images is to dehumanize and control both groups. Analogy of the white woman is the dog because it gets sleep inside and gets better scraps, and the black woman is the mule because you're outside and you're getting whipped, but both of you are being mistreated relative or within the system, particularly of white patriarchy, white supremacist patriarchy. So for me, I actually thought they did both, and I thought they justified doing both. And by both, I mean showing intersectionality, showing resistance, showing experiential knowledge, and academic knowledge, work within formal institutions that are historically white patriarchy, white supremacist patriarchy. And they justified that by equating 
or showing the connections between those two so that it elevated it elevated both. They justified it. It wasn't a clunky, I'm going to tell you because you're not bright enough to understand that we've already just showed you this. Again, we're back to whiteboard and <laughs> quiet place. So, so they justified that. So I thought all, I, I really thought all of that was fantastic. I mean, I thought that was remarkable. I thought it was, I thought it was really great. And I mean, I think the rest of the movie essentially just plays that out where, where it's reinforces that, then geographically by having this enclave of confederacy within modern United States. And it's a casual sort of, you know, when she's escaping, there's families walking up with popcorn or a hot dog or, you know, soda and touristy stuff. This stuff is, is, is often dealt so casually. Like I said, the Robert E. Lee, statue was to me that was the one like okay too much we've got it civil war confederate all that you don't need the actual statue that's okay but that's okay for me that's that's actually a forgivable heaviness who knows maybe they threw that in there because the monuments are such a thing within popular culture so for me it's ham-handed but we still got people who think that statues are these Confederate statues are this lovely, wonderful relic of history or whatever. So I, I, even that I can, I can accept. And so you have the symbolic or you have the structural film and the character, both reinforcing the intrusion of the past or the relevance of the past on the present. And then by, by also having it be this like, well, it's somewhere, I mean, it's Louisiana, but it's like, we don't know. This really could be anywhere in the U.S., at least that was south of the Mason-Dixon line. Um, also reinforces that in terms of setting. And you know um, somebody who loves, let's lock in an ar- on an argument and let's run through every possible thing that we can do to reinforce that argument. And I felt like they were, they did that strongly and intensely. It's interesting that you say, okay, I'm sorry, I, I, gotta, I gotta say this. So we're watching or we're discussing this Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020, literally last night, literally last night, Trump held a rally in Minnesota. This was reported September 19th and quote, in Minnesota, white state, overwhelmingly white rally. This is Trump, Trump political campaign rally. Quote, you have good genes. You know that, right? You have good genes. A lot of it is about the genes, isn't it? Don't you believe the racehorse theory? You think we're so different? You have good genes in Minnesota, end quote. And then this is an article in Daily Beast. The racehorse theory of genetics holds that some human beings are born genetically superior to others. And Trump has reportedly attributed his success to his genes. So we're watching this. You probably could have picked, we probably could have picked tonight anytime in the last four years. And Trump would have said something vaguely racist the commentary that I saw was like, you're not supposed to go full fucking white supremacist fascist, dude. Even you, Trump, you're supposed to like allude to it and ask questions that obviously indicate that that's what you mean, but you aren't supposed to just come out and say, white people are better because our genes are better. Black people are worse because their genes suck. You're not actually supposed to do that, but here we are and it's a non-story. It's like the second, third most important story of the weekend. So... For me to, to, to see this film in that particular context 
and with everything else, I thought it was I thought it was great. I don't know if I would put it at, at the level of Get Out, but I thought I was like, these are the stories that that horror film horror should be telling. This is a post Get Out horror film. This is a a film that has that car, that Get Out has carved open the door of of the genre of horror, and now films like this are able to get claw their way through or get through. And um, I was thrilled to see it. I'm astounded that people hated it. I'm really curious to see or to hear why that would be. And my first thought is, I wonder if people hated it because it was a little too much. You're still racist. (laughs) You're racist too. You're benefiting from white privilege. You are still benefiting from slavery. However many of you white critics are out there watching this, this got a little too close to the truth. You know, we talked about with red, red, uh, red state, Sometimes horror is is supposed to be separated from actual horror a little bit. And maybe this was like a little too close. So I don't know what you, all you read or what you have for thoughts about all of that, but I appreciate you letting me just uh, run with it because that's what I got out of the film. I appreciate hearing all that. And I want to second a couple things you said right at the end there, because I absolutely had the same thought that the fact that this film can be made and that like you said, Get Out really opened the space for films like this to be popular within horror and to be advertised as from the producers of of Get Out. Like this is something people are going to want to see. I think that says a lot about the state of the genre and like you said, what types of stories can be told. And so that I, I do see as a big accomplishment, just as it, its existence in that regard felt like an accomplishment. Surprisingly, I had the same thought as you when I went to read the reviews But the reviews actually that were critical of it were critical in a way that, how do I say this, was argued that it was by its presentation and by the way it told the story actually reenacting racism and re sort of like, like it did not appear from the reviews that people felt like it was calling white society out too much and therefore they were pushing it away but rather they seem to be doubling down on this argument that it objectified black bodies too much one of the big critiques was essentially a critique that we run into with horror films all the time right can you depict something without having your audience potentially revel in it or enjoy it or you know it brought me that whole argument that was presented in some of these reviews brought me right back to what we've done with rape revenge movies and where we've said okay can you show a certain type of violence that is societally problematic and very prevalent? And this is something that has had really serious impacts on people's lives without glorifying it or turning it into exploitation. The commentary about the beginning feeling like exploitation was, was pretty common throughout a lot of the reviews that I saw. And so that's something I think that we'll want to dig into a little bit. I didn't have that experience when I watched it. I felt, I felt like it was horrific to watch. And I also felt like, I appreciate when horror does that. I appreciate when horror doesn't pull its punches and just says, here's a really awful thing. We're going to show it to you. And so to me, that felt like actually doing a a service, I guess I would say, to the message that I felt like it was trying to give at the beginning of the film. But there were certainly quite a bit of arguments about that being exploitative. Also, the, the types of characters that were presented and the lack of depth that was given to sort of the the breadth of characters in it was certainly held out as problematic that, you know, black stories should elevate themselves above just watching people get brutalized and, you know, 
a, a bunch of sort of slavery exploitation. And then, you know, we're going to sort of tie this together in a, a superficial way in terms of like not getting to know any of the characters, not feeling like we really understand them, that they were, their bodies are being used as symbols basically for this argument without them having any depth. And some of that I agree with, some of that I felt in terms of particularly Victoria in present day. I wouldn't have articulated it quite this way, except I'm going to steal some of the words from one of the reviews I was reading because this, this resonated with me that when we met Victoria, there was a lot of a, there was a lot of attention given to showing her house and showing her having this very standardly, like she should be so happy type family and type of life without giving any depth to her actual character. And so that we never really got to know her. We never got to know kind of who she could be and that she also with her, her friend, I'm sorry, I don't know Precious's name. And so I don't want to, I feel like it's, it's further creating problems in the same area if I just call her Precious the whole time. But that's who I think of her as. What's her name? Her name is Gabore Sidibe. Okay, so... G-A-B-O-U-R-E-Y-S-I-D-I-B-E. Gabore Sidibe. Okay, great. So, so she... <laughs> say it! Say it! Gabore Sidibe? <laughs> I'm that, kidding, I'm kidding. She... <laughs> Sorry. was also sort of a very st- stereotypical character, a character that could have hopped out of a, a romantic comedy as like the friendly sidekick. And that in casting her that way, she also didn't have any depth and show sort of complexity of what a real character could be. And so that that was a, a disservice to the sort of overall argument in the film. And I, I kept seeing reiterated either this idea, like we are so tired of seeing black people treated this way in films and also seeing an argument of, you know, this is that, you know, this film seemed like it had something it wanted to say. It clearly had a message. It clearly wanted to deliver some sort of message, but it just didn't do it. It just wasn't effective. It just, and, and, oh, so, okay. They make this point at the beginning that slavery is still, the past is still important in the present. Okay. But this didn't really dig into that argument very deeply. And all we did was watch black people get tortured for a while. And then we saw these very superficial black characters um, playing out a story at the end and that that wasn't deep enough or nuanced enough. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this as I was running today. And the thought I had was, first of all, that wasn't my experience. I was curious if that was going to be your experience because I wondered, I wondered if it was my own privilege or just lack of ability to see these things that other people were critiquing this film from a direction that I would like to think I would have critiqued it. And I was blind to that. I didn't have that experience at all. And I was also wondering if, like the example I gave at the beginning of the podcast about Ma and how Ma certainly slipped under everyone's radar, but Ma, I think, had really problematic ideology when it came to dis- discussing a legacy of slavery and, and discrimination in this country. Seconded. And so, the, what's that? Seconded. Yeah. So the fact that nobody was critiquing Ma, right? But this film clearly did try to situate itself in a very timely moment in the middle of a very heated conversation that is very, very relevant and has a lot of attention at the moment. And that by doing so, it really opened itself up to a lot of critique. And it might actually be a positive sign that, first of all, like you've already said, and I already reiterated once, but I'll say again, the popularity of Get Out has opened doors within the genre to films like this, um, getting a lot of attention and being sort of able to be created, which as a reflection of society says something about where we are, but also that this film didn't meet people's bar. We are very often looking at horror films, I think from a, the bar is not always super high in terms of what, 
Well, and I don't say that for just like we're doing it, but I mean, like I said, look at Ma, right? Things can create really problematic ideology and put it out there and that they get away with it. It gets viewership. It gets, it's, films are not called out to this degree for doing things that are problematic when they're like overtly problematic. And so in this case, maybe it's a, a good reflection of society that it's being critiqued so strongly and from that side of the argument. And essentially it's, it's being held up as maybe not meeting a bar that I feel like, I don't want to say that bar didn't exist recently because I think the reality is that I don't know that bar is that conversation is happening more widely right now. But again, something like Ma, if it doesn't draw attention to itself as trying to address this argument, I don't know that it would have gotten critiqued as such. So I was surprised. I was surprised that I read the review in the Atlantic and the New Yorker, and I think it was Roger Ebert's review, and then maybe one in like Vulture, and that might have been it. And I will say that all the ones I read were not, they were written by white people when they showed the little picture at the bottom. Um, but I also saw one off to the side, which I didn't click on because I just ran out of time, that showed the picture of the person writing the review, and it appeared to be a black woman. And, and that one also, it, the title was something like, why this was such a hot mess or something like that. And so I, I didn't read that one as well. But yeah, that's, that's the take I got from reading the reviews. And it made me super interested to talk to you because I was wondering if you were going to come in on that side. And like I said, I was just blind to it um, or not. And it, that seems, it seems that you had a more similar reaction to what I did, which was not finding those things super problematic. I got three points, two of which I think you may want to comment. Well, whatever, all of them, maybe. For however many reviewers, yes, I'm responding to what you may have written secondhand through Laura. So at some point, if I need to correct, I will. I'm going to present that caveat. But first off, if any one of those reviewers also gave a positive review to Django Unchained, then go fuck themselves. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they hated Django Unchained. But if they didn't, they can go fuck themselves. Second, I was actually impressed with the lack of cruelty shown on screen in the film. They cut away from the horrors. Unlike Django Unchained, for example, there weren't these elaborate whipping scenes that you would have seen like Roots, where the person is strung up, the man is strung up, and and we watch them wail and scream in pain as, as their back gets chewed up by the whip. We actually, and for me, that was very interesting because I, we've talked about, like you said, with rape revenge films, if you elide the sexual assault, you risk minimizing it. And they, they elided the sexual assault in this film, but I didn't feel like it was minimized. And, you know, what we've come down to with all that is how is it done? And so for, for those of you listening, for example, the, the Revenge is a rape revenge film that we discussed where the assault itself is actually, you see sort of right up to where it really gets icky. That's a terrible word. You see the assault right up until where it really gets bodies are contacting and it's not, it's moved past threat. And then they cut away. And we found that potentially problematic within the context of that film and what else was shown. But my initial response is I, I summarily disagree with that. There were not, there were not glistening, sweating, shirtless slave. It's not Mandigo with this like stallion of a, of a man, black man, stall, taller and stronger and, and powerful and glistening out in the sun, picking cotton. And it's not, there was no sexualization 
really of the of the black women. She was presented as very attractive. She's very stylish. Gabore and uh, Janelle Monet were were presented this way as they both can be very sexy, but they owned it. It wasn't to me an objectifying presentation of them. And so I I really summarily reject that commentary. In my experience, it was it was decidedly the opposite. And then third, I am actually going to invoke what you presented. Uh, last time we talked, Laura, which was with We Summon the Darkness, where I felt like, so the argument that you presented in We Summon the Darkness was the women could be women without having to be like women. And I felt like, even though the film very much had components of gender, and that they were still women, and that was relevant in how they behaved and all that, I feel like the same argument or a similar argument could be made here. Of we knew enough about them. We know she has a family. We know that she um, does yoga. We know that she's working on peace of mind and, and power. We know she makes media appearances. We know she's an author and she, she is the, the breadwinner or the working person of the family. We, we don't know nearly much, as much about her friend, but whose name I can't re- recall. But in terms of if this were, I guess what I'm saying is in comparison to some sort of a uh, we'll just say hide and seek. I don't think we know any more about the white people in that film. Oh yeah. They came from a good family and he likes to hunt and she likes to golf or I don't know, whatever. Right. And you have a little couple other things. Maybe they like to gamble or play games or, but there's not this extensive, like you said, like this, there's not this extensive character development, but when do we ever see that in horror? On both of those fronts, both of the points you've already made, I, I will say that I had a similar thought to on this run where I was trying to process the stuff I had just read, that there might be a wider audience paying attention to this film now. And these might be people who are not super used to the horror genre or don't spend a lot of time in the horror genre. And I wonder if that could account for some of it. Because I certainly, as someone who watches horror a lot, didn't see the horror at the beginning as, like you said, as exploitative I thought it was it was not shielded, but I found that to be helpful in terms of the argument that it was trying to make. And to me, there is a difference between something that comes across as a romp, which you get in horror films, for sure, where the violence feels fun, and violence where you see the violence, but you as the audience member are very much situated in the position of disliking the person enacting the violence and empathizing with the victim. And I did feel like that was the case in this film. So that could have something to do with that. And the second piece of what you're saying about character development may play in there as well. I don't know. I I will say the character development stuff, I would not have put it in quite those words until I read through some of the reviews. So I don't know how much of having read that is tainting my impression. But I think that resonated with me. Something about, it did feel to me like there was a lack of depth of the characters. And I didn't love the, it's just very standard upper class or certainly very much upper middle class, upper class really position that Veronica held and how she then came back and was the hero in this, in the slavery story, using her yoga skills at various points. And there was something about that that did feel superficial and odd to me. It felt like in order for her to take on the hero role, she had to have some traits that I just didn't necessarily feel were necessary and were very, she was set apart in ways that, how do I say that? 
this is probably something we've run into with horror films before, where in order to be allowed to be good, you have to have certain characteristics. I won't say that was necessarily exactly true of her, that it was that she wasn't allowed absent those characteristics, but I didn't like that they gave her all of the characteristics that would make her super pass as, oh, you can, you can assimilate into some version of success in this like white upper middle class kind of way that she had, you know, higher education, a nuclear family. She had, she did yoga. She had all of these just very, very upper class characteristics. And I think the hero could have benefited from not having to play that role. I won't say they made the argument that that was what allowed her to be the hero, but I just wish the hero didn't have to have all of those characteristics because something about that felt off to me. Like she was too good? Like that, when you make someone the hero, you... The, okay, here we go. We're back to We Summon the Darkness. In We Summon the Darkness, I appreciated that the hero was allowed to have certain traits that may not, in sort of wider society, be standardly classified as good. And, and that, that characterization of good can be problematic, right? That can play into patriarchy and that can play into racism, that can play into things that sometimes come across thinly veiled in a horror movie, that the person who's good will happen to have all these traits that allow them to be good. And in We Summon the Darkness, I think they did do a good job of the people that were good didn't necessarily embody all of those like traditional, stereotypical, and sometimes used in problematic ways, good markers. And I felt like she very much did. And I wish she hadn't so much. I, I couldn't have articulated that when I was seeing it, but I, when I was watching the film, but I would say there was something about that that just bothered me, that she was a professor, like I said, and had all of these signs of success that really aligned with um, <laughs> I just took a diversion in my head to the pregnancy prevention project I work on and how the, the sort of conservative group of sex ed programs they have something that they try to teach called the success sequence. And the su success sequence is that you will, in order to be successful in life, you're going to go to college and then you're going to get married and then you're going to have a child. And then I guess getting a job is probably in there somewhere, but you do these things in order and they present all this statistical evidence to say that if you do these things, then you are much more likely to be successful and have an income and have better health and have all these characteristics. And so I think she fit the success sequence in a way that just, she didn't have to. You know, she could be the hero without having to fit that. But as a, as a black woman, can she? I mean, right, and then we're back to, yes, I mean, is, is certainly. That, I mean, isn't that part of, I, I think I hear what you're saying. And I thought they, maybe that is clunky, but I thought they at least tried to address that with her commenting specifically on the challenges of assimilating. And the the bind or the oh what is it called? There's a sociological term, but this expectation now that you don't have to just be a great mother now. And you should relate to this, Laura. You don't have to just be a great mother. You're also supposed to be great in your career, and you're also supposed to be great in your personal life. And so I have that hesitation, and then I have the hesitation of okay, if you if you give her some sort of component of her character that is not hegemonically regarded, valued. One, what would you give her? So, you know, flip to be the, how do we, how would we have changed it? And then I, anything that I can start to think of, shoot, I have somebody who's bringing me something at my door. I'm sorry, somebody rang my doorbell. Hold on. 
So then I wonder what could we do? What could we give her as a character that wouldn't somehow, I wonder how that would play out particularly because she's already marginalized the black woman. And I wonder if, or I think there is an argument to be made that she doesn't need or shouldn't have some sort of not flaw, but some sort of divergent component of her personality or her character to make her more relatable or realistic because she's a black woman. And those are the things that exclude her from that anyway. And so it's, it's like Obama, right? We, th- these folks, they are so exceptionally ideal because that's what's expected of them. Obama never got to be angry. He never got to have any corruption at all in his administration. He, he never got to do anything that was out of any sort of, I mean, Trump wouldn't have lasted four minutes at the expectations level of, of Obama. So I, I just wonder if, I think there's an argument to be made that that's necessarily different, not just because of U.S. society, but also within the genre of horror where black women are, you know, as rare as it can get. I see what you're saying. And I think it certainly holds water to say, well, why can't a black woman play that, you know, play that role and have all of these characteristics. And I think that's totally true. There's some piece of me that just hesitates with, it's like, yes, she can, but she shouldn't have to. And now she's not a real person. So I don't know how to like play that out. Like, yes, someone should be able to have all of those characteristics. That's fine. Certainly. But I fear that there's a little bit of stereotyping in that portrayal of her as successful because it felt very much to me like that was her role or something like that's what she was meant to represent. She was meant to represent achievement. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. I'm having a hard time articulating it because I was having a hard time getting at it. Even when I was watching it, I was just, I was getting the vibe that there was something about that that was bothering me a little bit and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But I do think that that was a part of some of those reviews that resonated when they talked about, you know, panning around her fancy house and these sort of overt signs of at least socioeconomic success. I mean, just look at fucking Greta. <laughs> well, we could just start. <laughs> sure, like, we could go there. <laughs> I, I mean, when, when is anybody, in any white woman or any white person in a horror film not have like some multi-million dollar place to live, even though they're a cashier or they work at a coffee shop or they're unemployed or you know like <laughs> I, I mean i i don't think your argument is i'm not dismissing I, I i think your argument is interesting or i think it's interesting i point point to discuss my other way of thinking about that or approaching that would be like okay what if she were what if she were like a working class single mother in the present era and then my thought was okay what it's meant to be or what it's meant to show, and I think what they addressed within the film, of why they targeted her specifically for kidnapping and and to be taken to the plantation is because she did achieve. She did slip through the cracks of that, that oppression and structural racism and institutional racism and institutional sexism are supposed to exclude. You know, I just did the privilege line with my class, and... Um, it's overwhelmingly women, and sure enough, the four women in, in back are the four women of color in my class. And so 
I mean, you know this, right? So those who don't know, the privilege line is meant to demonstrate, at least when I do it at CU, how privilege has already operated in order to exclude the folks without it from even getting as far as getting into CU. And it does demonstrate that repeatedly over time because that's how these things work. And so I think there could be something to be said that for if she were like a working class single mother or working class person, woman in modern era, there could be some way of saying the folks. So the argument I made was the experiential knowledge and the skill and the craft of surviving slavery and managing to navigate the impossibility of the cruelty of the institution and even so far as to overcome it as the women like Harriet Tubman were able to accomplish is equivalent to being like an exceeding a published PhD academic of the modern era. There is an equivalence in knowledge and, and skill in accomplishing those two things. There would be something, I think there it would be interesting to see if the equivalence was made of navigating working class life as a black woman in modern America, that would be also interesting. And that would be great because there's a lot to be said and a lot of acknowledgement that is not given to folks who managed to survive and thrive in circumstances that I, you know, I'm sure I wouldn't last very long in, including being a, a including just being a black, you know, black woman in, in America today. But uh, in the film, when they are symbolic, I think what you want to do, or at least what I would do, is I would have the two points being as, be as far apart on the spectrum as I could, which is what they did. Because for me, that covers a broader range of the continuum in terms of your symbolism and how that can be applied. But again, that, that, I mean, that's very revealing about how we approach our films differently. I want it to be a, a symbolic argument and you want it to be a, a character, a person. I agree with that. And also for the other people to have more depth as well. You know, it's just, there's something a bit, a bit odd about her leading the charge to end this, given the characteristics they imbued her with. I don't know. I, like I said, I can't, I can't, I can't stand behind that fully because I can't quite fully form it. I like what you said though, about the woman, I don't remember her name, but the woman that met with her and, and basically pulled her in. She says, I didn't want you. Yes. You right. know, they wanted you, but I, I didn't want you. And I, I think that could have been an opportunity actually to make the argument that you were making better. If they had stated that they had specifically targeted her because she had you know, achieve success in all of these ways. I would have liked that better. But they, because did, that they did do that. How so? Oh, God, what does she say? Um, she says, you think, think you're, you're better, better than, than us. us. She ain't better than me, you fucking cunt! <laughs> My father kept insisting. He said he was spreading such filth. I told him you weren't worth the risk. But he couldn't resist. The movement be damned. He just had to have you. Every single one of you I picked. Except for you. His favorite girl. <laughs> now, of course, 
Like always, it's up to a woman to clean up the mess of a man. Okay, so I'm sorry, you're right. She doesn't specifically say dad, or not dad. Paterfamilias picked you because you were exceptional. But that does very much invoke the the gender dynamics of the plantation where the white matriarch and the whoever the black woman slave who the patriarch decided was the one he was going to rape and be his mistress. I don't know if mistress is the right word because none of it's consensual, but, but that does invoke that division and it would. And so we're asking for it to do a lot of work because if they're addressing that uh, gender and race intersectionality of the quote unquote house Negro, the, or the black woman that the patriarch has decided is going to be his, his, his sexual slave in addition to his, or in, in addition to the physical slave and what that does to divide the white woman or the white women who are the, the dogs of the house from the mules and, and her occupying that liminal position to also then require that, that do the work of for her in that, in that speech to also, you know, if she had said, well, he kept insisting because you were just so instead of the spread and the filth, if she would have said, spreading the filth you can't you know you had to be on tv and you're publishing your books and you're presenting conferences one i think that would have got heavy-handed but okay even if she'd said that and they had done it in a way that was done with uh subtlety or whatnot that's where i think the film would have transcended to like a get out level film and i thought the film was extraordinary it was very well done but like i said i don't think it it accomplished something like get out but I just think about how much work we're asking it to do. Cause I'm saying that out loud. And then I'm thinking, but we saw that we saw her at the conference. We saw her with her book. We saw her make her media appearances. So we know that she has been targeted because of that. So I, I, I don't know. I do know. I, I know that I am convinced of my argument. <laughs> at least I am right now. I see you're still not. Maybe you tend to do this or you'll like a day later, you'll come back and you'll be like, oh, this is what I was, didn't have at the tip of my tongue. So if you do that, leave me a, give me a call or give me a voicemail or record a little blurb and send it to me. Cause you've done that before. And some of those have been really excellent. And then maybe I could, then maybe we could address it more specifically. Yeah. I, I, I don't at the moment, but like I said, my initial take really on the film was, that it was pretty good, that it was as a reflection of society, that it was great that it existed, that there was space for it and that it could be promoted as what it was. And particularly within horror, I think that's a really great thing to be able to characterize horror as something that it traditionally has not been characterized as in the genre was really good. And I was, I was ready to ding it on the last category that you put on our rubric, which I just love, which was. Didn't you put that on there? You typed it and I thought, oh, how wonderful to put it on there because that didn't occur to me. But just how much the film is going to be compelling to audiences and going to get people to talk about it and recommend it to each other. And, you know, something could have something could have very good moral standing, which I felt like this film did. I mean, again, I, I my only caveat in giving that is that apparently the rest of the world thought it was exploitative and racist and poorly done. It'd be the but first I, time I, that that wouldn't be the first time that we're right and the rest of the world is wrong, would it? <laughs> I'll agree with that. This one, like I said, I don't feel quite as strongly about, but 
I, I will say that I felt like morally, I felt like it was standing in the right place. Most of the critiques I wanted to give were, like I said, somewhat unformed, I guess, as has been shown in the last half hour of me trying to articulate what bothered me about the lack of depth in her character and not really be able, being able to do it super well. Those types of critiques and the fact that, yeah, in terms of, as you labeled it here in the rubric, I think this is great accessibility of the critique and the commentary and including that like entertainment so that people will actually, you know, incorporate these messages and, and want to share it with other people. I felt like it fell somewhat flat in that category. I certainly didn't think it was a horror film, which again is a weird thing to say in the context of slavery, but it didn't strike me as horror. It was sort of a mystery, I guess. I don't know. It was funny when I went back and watched the trailer, first of all, terrible trailer because it gave away everything about the film. It, the trailer goes in sequential order. So it shows her in her real life and then it shows her getting kidnapped and ending up on the plantation. And then it shows the plane flying overhead. Oh, come on. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. But when I watched the trailer, I was like, Oh, that's a horror trailer. (laughs) The trailer was definitely horror, but the film didn't strike me as, as horror. And I, I will say I appreciated the lack of ending because I think that fit very well with the quote at the beginning and the point of the film, but you couldn't end this film with, some sort of huge victory right. for Victoria, because if you had, that would be a problem, right? That would, you'd be saying like, all right, that's all over with, which is <laughs> totally. exactly, yeah, exactly the opposite of what the film was intending to, to say. And so I thought I really actually liked the ending and the fact that she comes out sort of triumphant, but then you pan to these shots of the police. And like you said, the kids walking in with their popcorn or whatever into, you know, civil war land. And that I thought was a great ending because it really pointed out this isn't over. This doesn't have some sort of resolution because this is not something with, it's not resolution. That's the whole point of the film, right? This is still a a present day issue and the legacy of this is still very much alive. So that I actually appreciated. I do think this storytelling may have suffered from that a bit in that, gosh, for someone who hates chase scenes, you said this about a film recently that you would have wanted a chase scene. I felt that way in this film. I would have liked a clearer. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I did. There there weren't points of tension in a way that I would expect or would have. I think pulled the plot along better for me. And I get that I we couldn't get a resolution. I actually like that we didn't get a resolution. But even so, I felt like something was lacking in that regard. I felt like the stuff with the little girl was a bit sloppy in that it looked like a horror film, but didn't seem to serve much purpose other than that. And I didn't love that. I just felt like as, as a horror, I, I think it, it fell flat somewhat. See, that's so funny because I definitely had more experience of this film as a horror film than, than like We Summon the Darkness. I got more classic, the monster, don't wake the monster, don't disturb the beast out of her trying to get out of bed or or them hiding in the cornfield from the, the soldiers or whatever that I got, that I've gotten, I was like, Oh my God, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> I like the edge of my seat kind of horror that I've gotten from any film I can think of in, in that we've watched. I mean, I know we've watched kind of a odd range of films recently, but I actually thought this is great. This fucking, this fucking slave owner role play, Terror, terrorist, whatever he is, is far scarier than 
Pennywise, get the fuck out of here with your clown. This is the fucking guy who's terrifying and didn't need any oogly boogly special effects, right? Or whatever that you you criticize. I never in my life thought I'd hear you, Laura, say I, that you wanted a chase scene. <laughs> I know, so that's me hilarious. neither. <laughs> and I agree with you in theory. Like everything you're saying, I agree that I would much rather have a villain with those traits than, like you said, our, our clown that can contort into a bunch of scary ways and turn into a spider or whatever stupid thing. But I just, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. And I was the whole time thinking, what the heck, Laura, you're watching a film about slavery. How are you not feeling fear? And I don't, I don't know. I'm just, my experience was that I, I didn't, I didn't feel the tension when I would like to have. And I think that could have driven the film better, but Oh, that's a, a long diversion, I suppose, just to say that my main critique of the film was going to fall in this category. I think in terms of its moral standing, it stood in the right place. And I was, I was very surprised, actually, that most of the critiques that I read that are out there were, were the opposite, were arguing about its, its moral standing and what it did to Black stories. And yeah, that wasn't what I expected. I think this is a serious question. I, I think I first, I thought at first as kind of a chiding, joking, but do you think your whiteness, your white privilege insulated you from experiencing the, the fear of the slavery terror in the film or horror in the film? I don't know. Maybe. I genuinely, like I said, I'm genuinely asked that as a serious, it could be, it could not be, it could just be, it didn't work for you. I just thought it might be. I don't know. I don't know. I certainly, I felt the violence like I said, but I, I felt it in a way that felt effective, that felt mm-hmm. as opposed to something exploitative to me would feel maybe more like a romp and maybe more like a standard horror film and possibly more tension. The trauma that victims are put through in horror films, I think that they experience trauma so that you can be scared as an audience member to some extent. And I think that's where the exploitation piece can come in, that you're putting people through something so that the audience gets to feel what they want to feel, whether that's the thrill or, you know, whatever that is. And that didn't happen in this film. So I guess that's probably why I would say it didn't feel exploitative and why I thought the violence at the beginning actually felt fairly effective. So it's not that I didn't like notice or feel the the trauma, I guess, but it's just, it didn't feel like a horror in the sense that I wasn't scared. I was sad. Maybe oh, as a better okay. Way of it. Okay. I don't oh. know though. I don't know. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I. But in truth, I also kind of wanted to ask that just so it'd be on the record, so folks listening, if they had that similar experience, maybe they might think about whatever their if their privilege might be operating in how they experience the fear of the film. A lot of folks are like four listeners. One of them, you know, maybe isn't aware of some kind of their privilege or whatever. I just want to interject it there. So I appreciate you being a, a sounding board for that. Yeah. No, I mean, I certainly wondered in watching, well, in watching the film and then, like I said, reading the reviews afterwards and comparing that to my experience, how much my privilege was operating in not having some of the critiques that seemed to be somewhat uniformly lobbed at it. But then a lot of the people lobbing those critiques that I was reading were white so, but seemed to be lobbing them on behalf of an argument that I would agree with. And so I, I was really confused by the end of this. Yeah. So I, I appreciate the time to talk through this with you. And this has been interesting. And I, I also, my thoughts aren't fully formed. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where else to go with that. Here, I've got one more thing. 
two more things, but one of them I think is really small, I think. So we've, we've run up against this a couple times recently in particular because of our choices of film that have been at the bounds of the genre. And we've talked about that. So, you know, me being the enterprising scholar that I am, I tracked out a book that is called Film Genre from Iconography to Ideology. And it's uh, by Barry Keith Grant, who also I was thrilled to see because uh, Barry Keith Grant also edited Gender in the Horror Film, A Reader, The Dread of Difference. So it's a film genre, generally writ large primer, but it's by someone who deals with gender and horror. So I was like, Ew. I've read the first couple of chapters and a couple of things. So the first piece I want to say is this is in his section on problems of definition with regard to uh, genre. And Grant, who is the author of the book, invokes Tudor, T-U-D-O-R. Quote, Tudor's solution to this problem of definition is to rely on what he calls a, quote, common cultural consensus, end quote, for Tudor. This is still a quote within Grant. That is to analyze works that almost everyone would agree belong to a particular genre and generalize out from there. This method is acceptable, he concludes, because, quote, genre is what we collectively believe it to be. Tudor's solution offers a pragmatically useful approach that has been taken up by many genre critics. And for me, some of what you were talking about, Laura, and what I think we are really invoking when we reference Get Out and you then arguing that well, this this is another expansion of, I think well, actually what we're saying is just that, is these are films that are, are expanding what the genre can be. I think some of the films that we've watched really aren't necessarily horror. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but we watched one that we like decided was, was really particularly would have been called a thriller, not a horror film. But in this case in particular, I think that this is work that this film is one that is really pressing the consensus of what horror can be. And I wouldn't be surprised because I didn't know this was produced by, by Peel and his, his company is monkey paw productions. I didn't know it was their film, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was very conscious that that is something he was doing and to market it as a horror film is, is to push those, push those limits as they've been previously established to include something like the horrors of the institution of slavery. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I would also say that one of the big ways that, that I feel like it contributed to the horror genre was essentially in reinforcing for lack of a more articulate way to say it, a very different contents to the, the bad bucket than we're used to. Yeah. And so I think putting white privilege in the bad bucket and putting, you know, slavery and discrimination and both historically and then a legacy now in the bad bucket is something that is not often in the bad bucket in horror films. And so that's a big contribution in itself. And I'm so glad you referenced Ma as a counterpoint of basically putting the legacy of racism in the like, get over it, not in the bad bucket. Like it's the, the legacy is the acknowledging the legacy of that is the bad, not the actual legacy. <laughs> well, if I remember the end of Ma correctly, Ma was the sympathetic villain. 
right? The, we understand why you are where you are, but we want you to die anyway, villain. And so very much so that was, I mean, that's, that's, it's not the worst bucket, you know, I suppose, I suppose the bad bucket has varying degrees of bad and we don't sympathize with you at all and bad and we kind of understand you, but still bad. That was very much being concerned with those issues was, was still in the bad bucket really. And so here that's different. That's good. I think this was leaps and bounds above or better did better than Ma in terms of ideology. Oh gosh. Yes. Yes. That Uh, I do not, I will not argue with you on that point. uh, And then this is another piece that I think is really interesting and, and relevant here is Grant quotes Browdy, B-R-U-D-Y. Genre films essentially ask the audience, quote, do you still want to believe this? Popularity is the audience, popularity is the audience answering yes. And I, again, I, I think that's a more formal way of saying what it sounds like both of us were thinking in response to some of these reviews of this is uncomfortable, too uncomfortable for me to confront. Quiet Place, Quiet Place 2 is nice, kind of easy horror for me to confront. This that is asking me, do I still want to, or not still, but do I want to believe? So what is it? Do you still want to believe this popularity is the audience answering yes? I would remove, in this case, I would remove the still because it's been absent from horror. And it's, do you want to believe this? And popularity is answering yes. And that, so for me, it'd be like, the audience is answering no, or at least the critics are saying no. They don't want to believe it because we as a country still clearly are struggling to being willing to confront the legacy of slavery in a meaningful way. I think that that could be true. I also think that I don't want to characterize the the reviews that I read that way because that's not that's not so much the impression. That's the impression I had before I read them, not after I read them. Well, I am curious to to do some searching around and see what folks say. Yeah, sure. but I, I do want to take that statement just one other place because I, I like that. I think that the fact that this film can be promoted as similar to Get Out, which it very much was, and that that would be a selling point speaks to this. Do you want to believe this? Do you want to watch a film that is going to, you know, where this is going to be the bad bucket in the film? And I think the fact that it even, regardless of whether people appreciated it to the extent that you did, at least in viewing it, I think the fact that that is a successful marketing mechanism and a way to promote it says a lot about there being space for that in the genre. Should we grade it? Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, no. One thing I want to ask first, just because I don't know, you seem to have a much more cohesive take on this film than I do. What was the deal with, the friend, oh gosh, I forgot her name again. I'm sorry. But with her and the guy at the bar and the drink, that whole situation, what was, what was going on in that scene? My best, my best attempt to assess that was that that had something to do with, God, I don't even know. I, I, I'm going to ask the question before I try to come up with a very muddled response. Sure. What I first thought was, and this isn't what happened. What I first thought was, oh, well, that's going to be a drink with like roofies and that's how they're going to attack her or incapacitate her, which I'm glad they didn't do that because that would have been probably a little too obvious. What I took it as is, so this white man, right, at the bar, 
It's a white man. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it was very much a rejection of, it was, it was Gabori saying like, just because you're a white man and just because I'm a black woman, I'm not going to respond to just whatever is your, or less than thoughtful attempt to hit on me, even though there's these power dynamics, you, and within the context of this film in particular, right? It's white men have been able to simply seize and abuse black women as their sexual slaves for however long it's been. And so if you are going to approach me now, you have a hill to climb because we're living in that legacy. So you don't get to just offer me a drink. Like maybe, maybe you would some white chick or whoever it is. If you're going to, there's a penance in our interpersonal micro social interactions where you don't just give a, buy me a drink. You better shell out for the bottle of champagne because you're paying for like 300 years of fucked up shit. Even though really what you're just trying to do is offer me a drink and we can still talk about whether or not we could go out, but you need to understand that you're operating within a historical context because I'm a black woman and I know what the fuck is going on. And if you're just some white dude who's operating under white men's privilege and you think, oh, she's kind of cute, I'm going to send her a drink, you better like figure your shit out before you actually go think about yourself. And if you are actually up to this situation and then you can call me but this little thing here that's just your trifling (laughs) that's not gonna fly so i I like what you're saying a lot there and as someone who likes to put nuance into a film that doesn't bother me in the context of overall what i think the film the argument they're trying to make but i'll ask you because you'd like to be a lot more um surgical, I guess, about exactly how every scene plays into the bigger argument. So if the overall argument of the film is that this legacy is still very present, does sort of turning the power dynamic in that film, or even that in that scene, is that, does that go against the overall argument of the film? Is that essentially saying that she has gained now the power to have the upper hand in that situation, that she doesn't have to worry about being victimized or worry about being, she somehow escaped that previous power dynamic? Is that a problem or is it not? But she hasn't escaped it because she's still got to manage the situation. She, she's still the, the marginalized person who has to, teach, has to teach the privilege to the person with the privilege. So is it progress? Yes. But, but I think what you're asking would hold if he had approached them as she wanted him to approach them to start with. That would have undermined if he had sent over the bottle of champagne and talked to the waiter and done whatever she had said he wanted to do, then I think it would have undermined because it would have been like, okay, in some cases, black women have arrived at a standing of being acknowledged for their experience in, in the context of U.S. culture and history. Okay, all right. I see uh, what you're saying. I can, I can take that. Yeah, I think so. Good. Yeah. I love it. I'll do surgery all day. Laura, you know this. (laughs) So my horror students watch Psycho and we covered it in like a day and uh, they were unprepared to come into a discussion of Psycho with me. (laughs) Which, uh, you know, I have to remember that few few would be, but today I reminded them because there was 
there was hesitation on their part and there was concern about like saying the right thing. And I, so I tried to emphasize this film has been discussed with excruciating minutia of detail for 60 years. You are not going to say the dumbest thing that anybody has said about Psycho. You couldn't do it if you tried. <laughs> and I was hoping to use that as a way to like open up space of just put out ideas. I, I just want to hear thought. It could be ludicrous and totally wrong. That's not the point. Here is the time to take intellectual risk. I don't know what made me think of that, but oh, something about yeah, the, the microanalysis of of doing that all day. I was like, I could teach an entire semester class on psycho. Didn't Chow at, from Alamo say that? Oh, you weren't there for that. He taught. Oh, were you? That he taught an entire semester on Vertigo. Is that right? I feel like I remember hearing that comment secondhand. Oh, really? Oh, I think I, I think I went with my dad because you know my dad's into Hitchcock. Anyway. Let's grade it. Okay, let's grade it. Loved it. A. <laughs> I'll, I'll point out a couple things. Obviously, real issue. I liked who we empathized with. I was fine with character development, as we've talked about. And then in particular, I have this bolded from before, but it applies here with regard to, like you were saying, objectification or exploitation of, of uh, black bodies, black, black characters. I felt like the suffering... So our specific piece here I'm referencing is the suffering to violence, excuse me, the suffering to violence ratio, which we recently added to the rubric. We are using the Smith-Patterson evolving rubric of horror film social responsibility. And we have added the ratio of suffering to violence and lots of suffering, lots of suffering, not a lot of actual violence on screen depicted. And I thought that was done very well. I did have scare, fear. I, I was scared. I thought that purpose served to make me aware of the brutality and the institution of slavery and the ongoing impacts of it. I enjoyed the film. It was beautifully shot. We have another new piece, which is balancing subtlety and the obvious or the manifest direction of the critique. And as I emphasized or as I argued earlier with them both showing and telling and then tying those together with what I thought was a strong, valuable underlying reason for doing so. I'm all in. I thought it was great. I have very little critique. That would be my, maybe my only piece would be, I think they'd let go of their subtlety a little bit too much towards the end, but I'd still put it in a solid A. That's where I'm at. I, I agree with what you say on the subtlety. I, like I said, feel like the overall moral standing of the film was good. I feel like my experience of it as a film and just the way that I feel like it came together as a horror film or something that people would want to watch and experience didn't quite come together for me. I feel like I have to give it somewhere in the A category because I gave it You'd be racist if you didn't? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm checking. No, I might be racist if I do. I'm not sure after reading all of those reviews. Oh, God. um, Oh, because I gave We Summon the Darkness an A- minus for <gasps> achievements that I feel like I'm scrutinizing this film much more than I scrutinized that and allowed it to get by with an A-. minus. So I'll agree with you. I'll land it in the A category, but I'm going to go lower than you are. Just because, like I said, something didn't quite come together for me. And I can't, I can't give a better strong reason than that, I guess. But I'm going to go with, yeah... A lower A. If you didn't have your PhD, we would call that gut feeling, but you get to call that your 
professional opinion, right? <laughs> Something, yeah, it feels off. You, I might, I might be able to call you up in two days with a more thoughtful, more fully formed critique on that. But overall, it was morally in a good place. Okay, there you have it. Annabellum. lots of critics are wrong. Again, hot take. We are the Collective Nightmares podcast. We appreciate you joining and listening. Horror films are our collective nightmares. We're going to do our best to, uh, to reenact the historical implications of this film. You could have done much worse. <laughs> Finding a quippy lead into slavery is just a minefield, Marshall. So. <laughs> totally. I, I thought about that as I went to the bathroom however many hours ago that was. So well, like you said, I, I, as long as that's not somehow unintentionally offensive, we'll call it good. Thank you, Laura. You're a royalty among peasants. I hope what's his name works out. I appreciate you staying up. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's go to bed. I've got a quick okay. morning tomorrow. Absolutely. All right. Good night. Awesome. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Night. Yeah. Bye. Bye.